One, two, eyes on, wait, what is it? One, two, three, eyes on me. One, two, eyes on you. Okay, can everybody hear me? Hello, welcome back. Hello. <laughs> welcome back to our last session. Wasn't lunch delicious? Yeah. I vote Diane Barry picks food every year. Show of hands. Diane, um, I also want to take this moment to thank Gwen Weatherby and her team for all the wonderful jewelry help today. I don't know. And we also have just other people here in the room. We have Chatham men here for security. Of course, all the wonderful helpers in the kitchen. It was such a blessing to me to see all these men from different churches serving us at lunch. It's not my turn to speak, so, but I'm just so blessed by today. It's just, this has been such a wonderful, wonderful day. So we're so thankful to the committee and for all these churches and all the other people from other churches who have joined us. Um, I am so filled up and just praising the Lord for this time together. And we get to listen to one more speaker. So we're going to have Sarah Lovanos come up from Chatham Bible Church. Sarah grew up in Wisconsin and met Jesus in her childhood. God's cascading intervention of grace began with her mom when she was saved out of an alcoholic home and turned her heart over to Christ when Sarah was a baby. Sarah's mom then brought her dad to church, and he also responded to the Lord through an altar call. As a young child, Sarah watched her parents' beautiful new love for Jesus, but at age 12, her own eyes were opened to her personal need for him. She received Jesus as Savior at summer camp and began to experience his transforming love and his presence herself. Sarah met her husband, Tom, on a missions trip to Kenya with an international children's ministry. They married in 1999 and continued to serve in children's ministry for five years in Boston before moving to Missouri in 2005. Sarah and Tom have six wonderful children. I can vouch for at least three of them. They're great. <laughs> Two of them are here. <laughs> they have six wonderful children, ranging from a soon-to-be college graduate to sweet Clara, who is six years old. Sarah homeschools three of her kids, loves walking in the woods, kayaking, Lucky Charms cereal, and getting to know new people. Welcome, Sarah. We're so happy to have you today. Can we take just a moment to pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can be in your presence. I pray, Lord, that you'd open up our hearts and help us to marvel at you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> um, a bit of trivia that I'd like to share with you, besides the fact that I love Lucky Charm cereal, is that I have... Not, I don't have an athletic bone in my body. And I want to tell you a story about that. Um, where's Diane Barry? Well, uh, right there. About a year ago, Diane and her husband Clifton invited my husband and I to go golfing with them. And uh, Cl Clifton was one of the men serving us in the kitchen a little while ago. 
but we, um, they invited us to a place called Top Golf, and, and I was so excited to get this invitation. Like, wow, hardly ever anyone invites us to do something fun with them, and we get to go golfing. This is wonderful. I'd never golfed before in my whole life. So we were very excited, and we went with them to this place called Top Golf, and, and the, the idea is um, to hit a golf ball off of a ledge into a big field where there are holes of various various holes with, that are worth different points. So we, we got there, and, and I think Clifton is the one who, who went first. And so he got up to the, to the ledge, and, and he, 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 he took a swing at the ball, and we watched that ball go soaring across the field and, until it disappeared from sight. And... And then all of a sudden, a million points showed up in the scoreboard because his ball fell into a tiny little hole way at the end of the field. And after that, Diane got up and she took her turn. And I'm here to tell you all, she is really good. She, she's not like me. She does have athletic bones in her body. She, she, she's good. And you know, so she took her turn and then my, my husband got up and and, and he took his turn and, and hit the ball, and, and he did okay. He's golfed a few times, and, and now it's my turn. So they hand me this cart full of left-handed golf clubs, and, and I, I look in the cart and pull one out. Well, this one looks good. You know, so I, I took this golf club, and I, I took it over to the ledge and got the little ball, and I set it down on that little white thing called a tee, and... <laughs> Of course, it rolls off once or twice, you know, put it back on and, you know, take the club and, and, and I, you know, and I, I swing and, and look down and, and the ball's still there. It is not going anywhere. <laughs> so, so I, I take the club and I try again and, you know, not doing any better. So my knight in shining armor came up to try to help me in my embarrassment. And, and so he, you know, Tom, he put his arms around me and he, he's trying to show me how to, how to do this and how to swing this club. And, you know, he, he's trying to help me. You know, finally I managed to knock the ball off of the tee and it kind of tumbles down over the ledge. So, and then I, then I, then I turn and I, I look at Tom and, and Diane and Clifton, and they're all looking at me with this, you know, just this smile of just, it's just this look of compassionate, suppressed pity. And it dawns on me that people look at me like this a lot. So, <laughs> and, um, you know, so I went and I sat down, and now it's Clifton's turn again. <laughs> so Clifton got up and took his ball to the ledge, and he set down his ball. And, and he got into position. And then Clifton paused. He paused, and he, he got up without a word, and he got into position, and then he paused. And then he just turned, and he looked back at me. And he just looked at me as if to say, watch. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and he just stood in that position, and he just paused right there, just, just for a minute. And I watched, and I just looked, and I saw where his arms were, and I saw how the club was being held, and I saw where his feet were. And, and then he, swung, he, he took a swing, and once again the ball flew across the field, and another million points showed up in the scoreboard. So, and, uh, uh, and then when it came to be my turn again, I, 
I, I got up and, and I, I, I put my ball down on, by the ledge. And this time I had, I had a picture of someone in my mind. And so I'm, I'm picturing what I, what I saw. And so I try to stand in the same way. And I take that club and I, I put it back and I'm, I'm picturing how to hold my arms. And, and, um, and, and I take a swing and the ball left the tee and it, and it flew into the field, probably about 15 feet. And, um, and I was so happy. <laughs> I, I did it. And, um, and I looked at my three friends and they were smiling and very, very happy for me. But, but do you know, do you realize what I did? I imitated the posture of a master. And that's what I want to do for a little while today. I want to just, what I did is Clifton paused and I just looked at his posture. And I want to take some time today to just gaze at the posture of our master. And I pray that as, as we do this today that, um, that we will marvel at the condescending love of Jesus that we will purpose in our hearts to imitate this love, and that we will take steps to enter into an abiding life of love. Um, I want to look at John chapter 13. And if any of you are reading from the black Bibles in, in the pews, this is found on page 900. Some of you may not be familiar at all with this passage. And... Some of you, some, some of us, might have read this passage over and over, and we may have read this so many times that we've become immune to it. And it's so easy to look at scriptures that we've read many times, and it's, and it's easy to, to say, I, I already know this, and I am already what I need to be. And I'm already doing what I need to do. But I want to encourage you, encourage all of us, to look at this scripture. Let's look at it together. And let's say, I do not know what I need to know. And I am not what I need to be. And I am not doing what I need to do. And so I want to take just a moment. In your notes, on the back page of, of, the, of, your, of your notes, um, there's some a couple, a few boxes. In that first box, I want to take just a minute just to be quiet, just for you to be quiet in God's presence and write a sentence or two to God, asking him to reveal truth from the scripture. Ask, ask him to reveal his truth to, to us and, and, and to change us. Can we do that just for one, one minute, just a sentence or two? I want to read this passage for us. John chapter 13. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In this passage, Jesus is doing what only the lowliest servant would do. Occasionally, a woman or a child might, might, might wash a, um, a man's feet. But Jesus, this is an act of complete, complete humility. And today I want to look at three pairs of words that, that we can see in this passage. And the first pair of words that I want to look at is know and love. In verse 1, it says that when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus' posture was to selflessly serve, loving to the point of death, even at the last hour. Did you notice as we read this passage, there are, there are um, things that Jesus knew when he was washing the disciples' feet. Did you notice that? He knew that his hour had come, that he was about to go to the cross. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. And he knew that he had come from God and was going back to God. Did you notice that? He knew that he had come from God and was going back to God. When Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, he was completely secure in God the Father. He was completely secure in the love of God the Father. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Just for a minute, I want to I take us back to the Garden of Eden when God made the first man, Adam. Um, God put everything into Adam's hands. He put the whole world into gave it to Adam for Adam to rule over. Um, he entrusted this, the world that he had created, he had entrusted it to Adam. And um, it was Adam's job to name the animals. He even named his wife Eve. And God walked with him. And Adam knew that his, he had come from God. He knew that he had been made by God. And in the garden, there was one opportunity, one opportunity for Adam to deny his flesh and to love God more than himself. He had one opportunity. He had, there was the tree. Um, and Adam failed. And he's, he, along with all of us who came from him, stepped out of a love relationship with God. And now I want to fast forward a little bit to, uh, to first, 
First uh, Chronicles, actually. First Chronicles 14, verses 2 and 3. So recently, um, I woke up at 6 in the morning, and my husband was just coming up from reading his Bible downstairs. And, and he passed by me. He said, look up First Chronicles 14, 2 and 3. So I said, okay. And so I, I was barely awake, so I got my Bible. I started looking, looking that up. And um, he went into the bathroom. He got some mouthwash. And, and he came out, and, you know, his mouth is like that. And, and I, so I'm reading this verse. And David knew, knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more wives in Jerusalem. Like, okay. And I looked at Tom, like, okay, so, so what is this supposed to mean to me? And, and he's... Like, what, are, are you planning to take a few more wives? Because I'm not okay with that. <laughs> he's, he finally spit out his mouthwash. He said, no, no, look at those verses and then compare them to John 13, verse 3. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. He knew that God had, had established him, had entrusted him with the kingdom of Israel, with his people. And, um, and, and, and that was, God intended for that for, for him to do good to, to his people Israel, for the, for the sake of his people Israel. And what was David's next move? His next move was to use his status to gratify his flesh and gratify himself. And now let's, now let's look at John 13. Let's look at John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. At this moment in time, Jesus knew that God, his Father, had put the entire world a broken, messed up world that God still loved, God had put that into Jesus' hands. He entrusted it to Jesus. Jesus, God the Son, had all the power in the world. God had put it all into his hands. Now, Adam and David, Adam and David, like Jesus, they knew that they, had, they knew the, God's love. But they had the wrong posture. But Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got into position. And he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, <laughs> he knew his hour had come. He knew he was about to go to the cross. And he and he got in he got into position. And his his posture was a posture of dying to himself. His posture was a 
posture of, of humility. And when, when, Jesus, when Jesus stepped up to swing the club, the ball went soaring. Adam and David failed, but when the second Adam, the son of, the son of David, got up um, to swing the club, it was a hole in one. <laughs> Jesus, from the manger all the way to the cross, Jesus, Jesus never lost his posture. He never lost, he never faltered in his posture of, of humble love. Um, second pair of words that I want to look at today. Understand and know, or uh, no, understand and imitate. Understand and imitate. That's the next pair of words that I want to think about. Let's look at, um, let's look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. A few weeks back, as I was studying John 13, and um, just kind of just wrestling with it in, in preparation for, t- for today, um, I was with a friend at, uh, at St. Louis Bread Company, and, and she asked, how can I be praying for you? And I said, I need to get this. I, I, need this to be, I need this to be real in me. I, I need to understand this. I need to get this passage, John, John 13. And she looked at me over her cup of tea, and she smiled at me with a smile of someone who's walked with Jesus a lot longer than I have. And she said, I can't imagine that God is not going to answer that prayer. And, and I want to tell you what he did that week. And she doesn't even know the story. So before I tell this story, I have to give a little background. Um, so as Jillian said, I have six children. And my youngest daughter, my youngest daughter, Clara, she's six and a half. And um, she's a, a gift from God to us. Clara has um, Down syndrome and autism similar to, uh, we're in a similar situation to, to Jillian. Um, Clara is, um, she's nonverbal, she can't talk. And when, when my daughter Clara was, was born, we knew, we knew that God was going to use this for his glory. I, I really sensed that from God, that he was going to um, really work in our family through this, that he was going to change us through this. Um, but I, I had no idea how hard it was going to be. Um, Clara's needs are very in, intense. She, she, um, she, will, she will bite. She will pull hair. She doesn't understand that she's hurting people. Um, she developmentally, she's, you know, like an infant, but she's, she's six years old, she's big, she's strong, she's very strong. 
Um, every day we wrestle her, we have to wrestle her down to change her, change diapers. We've changed diapers for six and a half years. We don't know if we'll do that for the next 40 years. Um, you know, she'll often kick and fight us and, and stiffen her legs and, um, and while we're trying to change her. And um, she has no awareness of, of germs. She has no awareness of safety. So she'll lie on the ground. She'll eat, put garbage in her mouth or um, things, like, things like that. And um, sometimes it's, it's exhausting. And I'm, I'm exhausted. And that week when I met with, with my, my friend, um, a, a few days later, I was, I was making dinner. And it, Clara, we, we went through a long period in the past couple of months where we had a lot of sickness in our family. Clara was home and um, had been sick. And um, I, I was very exhausted. And I was making dinner and stirring the dinner. And Clara went into the other room. And after a few minutes, I told my son, Jojo, can you please go, go check on Clara? And so he did. And he went and checked on her. And then he screams, Mama. And so I came running. And, and I came in the library. I'm, I'm exhausted. And, and I look at Clara. And, um, and she was covered with filth. And I hope I can say this in, in, in a way that's not too distasteful, but you know, she had gotten into her messy diaper and she was just covered with, with filth all over her face, everywhere, all over the room. And at that moment, I had it. And I was just at my end. And, and, and just, I was just angry, just angry at that this was my situation. And what was bubbling up in my heart, I'm, I'm ashamed of, of, of what, a, what my heart was like at that moment. And I grabbed her and gr- grabbed her and dragged her up into the bathtub. And you could not be grosser. And I'm just, just angry. And I put her in the tub. And I'm just you know, washing her up. And, and, um, and then after, after I was done, I, I, asked, I asked one of my older kids to watch her because I needed to take a break for, I mean, I need to go into my room and throw a fit. And so I did. One of my older kids took, took Clara and took care of her. And I went into my room and laid on the bed and just cried and was just throwing a fit. She, and and started, started praying. And like, Lord, she, 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 couldn't be, she couldn't be grosser. And I have no, I have no life because of, because of, because of her. And I don't want this to be my my identity. And here she she kicks and she bites and she pulls my hair when I'm taking care of her and loving her and and dressing her and and doing everything for her and giving up everything for her day after day after day. And I'm just throwing a fit. And and then. And then truth started to sink in. And I start realizing a few things. Um, God started opening up my heart. You couldn't be grosser, I said. And a verse came to my mind. It is not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but everything that comes out of, out of his heart. And then... You know, truth was staring me in the face. 
that heaven was not grossed out by Clara and what she was like at that moment in the library. But the kind of stuff that's in my heart is enough to make all of heaven shudder and recoil. And can you hear Jesus' words ringing in the air? Do you understand what I have done for you? She couldn't be grosser. You couldn't be grosser, and I died for you. A few weeks ago, we sang a song, and I loved the words to this song. The hands that should discard me bear wounds that bid me come. The hands that, the hands that should recoil and be disgusted by me bear wounds that bid me come. I have no life because of you. I gave my life for you. He left the throne of heaven where he was worshipped by celestial beings beyond our comprehension to come and get me, to come and get us. He didn't hold on to status. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant being made in human likeness. I don't want this to be my identity. (laughs) I identified with you. Have we marveled at the fact that Jesus is human? His human DNA, you know, he he became a human like us. He for the rest of eternity, he's identified as a human. God, the Son, God is identified as a human like us. He identified with us. As Carol and Cecilia touched on this morning, like he 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 died he died so that he could pull us up into the, the, to the Trinity, to be welcomed into the Trinity, that he would become the first fruits of many brethren, that he would share his father with us. And Clara, you, you kick and you she kicks and she fights me and she doesn't care that, that she that she's hurting me. And you know, how many times do you fight me? How many times do you when I'm trying to work in you, when I'm trying to heal you, how many times do you do that? And then I think about it, and I think, you know what? Clara, even with her profound disabilities, every morning I go into her room, and she has messy hair, and she, she sees me coming into her room in her bed. She has a safety bed, behind, so she's kind of enclosed, and, and, I, and I see her smile just light up. And I open up her, I unzip her bed, and, and she lifts her arms up to me. Even with profound disabilities, she does that for me. Do we do that for God? Do we recognize his presence in the morning when we wake up and recognize him right there and light up with a smile? <laughs> do, we, do we do that? So I was laying there in my bed pretty, pretty undone in the face of, of, of truth, um, after I threw my fit. You know, when we were golfing with Diane and Clifton, um, you know, Tom was trying to help me to golf and he tried to make me do it right, but what, and, and that didn't really work. But when I looked at the posture of a master, at the master, then I could see everything that was wrong with what I was doing, everything that was wrong and how different his was from mine. So now I want to tell you about the next day. 
The next day, I picked up Clara from school. And um, this time, I, I, I was smart, I thought. I put, I put on a zippered outfit that she couldn't get undone. And, and I started doing, doing my stuff. And um, a little, and after, and, and once again, she snuck away. And, and after a minute, I, I come looking for her after a couple of minutes. And I came up the stairs in our house. And there she was sitting there. And somehow she had gotten through the zipper. And she had gotten into a messy diaper again. She was covered with filth again. And it was the exact same scenario that I had faced the day before. And I, and I looked at Clara and, and, and I looked at her. And I thought about what my friend had said. And at that moment, I knew I knew that God had made this happen. I knew that he gave me this moment. He put this moment in my hands. He had handed me the, the, cl the club again. I said, let's, let's try this again. And when the master hands you the club, you imitate his posture. So. Claire Bear, come here. And I grabbed her up and held her, and I carried her to the bathtub and put her in the bathtub and started washing her up. I said, Clara, you're not gross. I'm gross, and Jesus embraces me. He washes my feet every day without recoiling. And I'm so sorry for failing you, Clara. And I washed her up. <laughs> I didn't forget her feet. Washed her up. <laughs> and um, later, as I was putting her to bed, just talking to her some more, just rocking with her in the chair. And, and I said, Clara, I'm, I'm going to fail you. I'm going to fail you again. But Jesus will never fail you. He never loses his posture. He's immutable. And Clara, someday you'll understand what he did for you. Someday you're going to be healed. You'll be in heaven, and, and you'll understand what he did for you. We'll understand at least a little bit. I think the full extent of how Jesus humbled himself is a secret that only the Trinity will share. I want to take one moment right now to be quiet in the next box, to be quiet before God, and to write one or two sentences in worship for what God has, for what he has done for us. Do you understand what I have done for you? And now I want to look at one last pair of words. Obey and stay. And I want to turn over one page, over to John chapter 15, Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus talking, continuing to talk to his disciples at that Last Supper. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The word abide 
means to stay. And it's the Greek word, the Greek word is meno, and of the 102 times that it appears throughout the New Testament, half of those are found in the books of John and 1 John. So I think it must be one of John's favorite words. He uses it even more than he uses the word light, life, and love, agape, which is a close second. Jesus pleads with us to stay, to root ourselves in his love. Staying means imitating his posture of love in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. It means imitating his posture over and over and over and over and over again in our daily lives. I noticed when, when I was golfing that as the game continued on and I, whenever Clifton stood up there, I would, I would watch his posture again. And then when it was my turn, I'd try to imitate again. And again, and again, and again. And, and you know, by the end of that game, I was getting better. My ball may not have been soaring across the field, but at least it was leaving the tee. <laughs> Abiding, staying, is obeying his, his commands is, is imitating him in obedience. This is how Jesus rooted himself in the love of God the Father. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love, he was obedient to his Father, humbling himself to the point of death. And in this chapter, Jesus, well, throughout the book of John, he's made many statements, I, uh, the I am statements, I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life. And in this chapter, in chapter 15, he makes one more statement. He said, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. He was the seed that fell to the ground and died, and he was resurrected. He became the true, the true vine, rooted in his Father's love, and now he calls us to abide in him, to stay, to stay in him. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Master, God's call to you is to, to stay. God's call to us is is stay. A missionary, Amy Carmichael, once said, see in this moment a chance to die. And I want to take one more time to write in that last box. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Master, I want to encourage you to ask him to help you see the moments the moments day by day that he's calling you to imitate his posture. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your master, he's calling you to come. Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know what he's done for you? Come to him. And if you want to come to him today, I encourage you to write in that box and express your faith in the Lord Jesus and tell him that you want him to be your savior and your master and acknowledge your need for him. And I'm just going to be quiet and give you some time to write. And also, if you do that today, we'd, we'd love for you to tell one of us about that so we can connect with you. But I'm going to give you a few minutes to write quietly, and then the worship team will come up and close our conference.